There's a kind of settlement in the West Bank in Israel. Um, Any of those settlements do not make the Palestinians very happy, but uh, there's a particular one or type called outposts. Have you ever heard that phrase? Anybody? Like this was new to me. I had not uh, come across this as a term, but the term outpost, if used of a settlement in the West Bank, means an illegal Israeli settlement in that place. It's not been sanctioned by anyone, not been sanctioned by certainly the Palestinians and, and nor by um, the government of Israel. So they're kind of on tenuous, tenuous ground. I'm not really bringing that up to suggest that's a, either a good or a bad thing politically. That's not my place to do. But I would say that the concept of it is actually a really good way of thinking about the church. It's a really good way of thinking about the church, of Christians at, at large. It, it, if you think about it, we are on enemy territory. Yes, the, the world lies under the power uh, of the devil, we are told. And, uh, and uh, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. But it's a world that was created by our Heavenly Father. And so it's like we're kind of like these outposts that are settled into these areas surrounded by the world which is under, under the government and under, under the power of the evil one, but we're like there anyway. Like we didn't ask him for permission. We didn't say, hey there devil, can we live in your, in your neck of the woods and set up a, an outpost? We just did it. <laughs> and, and then we get the consequences of that, but, but we're, doing it, we're doing it for the sake of the Lord. This came to my mind as I looked at our text today. We, if you can believe this or not, um, somebody said, pinch me, is this real? Yes, we are coming to the end of the book of Acts and for that matter, the whole corpus of Luke, you know, Luke's writings. Luke wrote, uh, obviously, Luke and then Acts, and, and that's taken us the better part of, I don't know, how many years now? Seems like a long time. This is it, man. We are, we are coming to the end. As we get to the end of this, um, as, we, as we look at this, the book of, of Acts is this whole idea about the kingdom, right? We talked about that way back at the beginning, that it's all about the expansion of of the kingdom of Christ, beginning in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. Paul the Apostle has been the main real driving force in, the, in pretty much the last half of the book of Acts. He is the guy that Christ chose to bring the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world, to take it to the Gentiles. And now he's in Rome and Acts ends with Paul, the Apostle, who's been the most um, what's the word I'm looking at? Most transient, the one moving around the most. The book of Acts comes with uh, or ends with him in a very settled place. That's interesting. Like Paul is just stationary at the end of the book of Acts. He's settled in the outposts. Some people think that Luke uh, ended the book open-ended like this because he was going to write a third volume. Or they wrote a third volume and the third volume got lost. I think there's no way for us to know that. We do know that Paul states specifically that he wants to go to Spain. And I think there's some church history to indicate that that may have happened. After he's released from this first Roman imprisonment, he may have gone to Spain. Ended up back in Rome under a second Roman imprisonment. The the truth of the matter, we, we really don't know. But Luke could have ended this with Paul riding off into the sunset. Wouldn't that have been more appropriate? Like, who are you to say what's more appropriate? 
I'm just saying, from just, just a literary standpoint, with Paul being this guy that is constantly going places, wouldn't it have almost seemed better for him? And instead of riding off into the sunset, here he is, in Rome, settled in. And I think that that's actually a little bit of how it is for the church. There's this paradox that, 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 that we as Christians in ordinary places like Great Bend, Kansas, we are settled in. Well, I think we feel a lot more settled than we should. <laughs> but, but we're settled into this place. And yet, while we are so stationary, we are actually like an outpost for the kingdom of God. The church really is. I think that's not even a... If you wanted to give a, a little quick summary of what a definition of the church would be, uh, it, in many ways the local church is the outpost of the kingdom of God. So here's the big idea. Live as settlers in the outpost of Christ's kingdom. And what I mean by that, you say, well, how do you live that way? What I'm asking you to do today as we go through this sermon is to kind of wrap your mind around that and think of it. Like, what if we considered ourselves in this light? What if we thought of ourselves strategically and tactically? Not like we're settlers in this world and the world, and we're just part of this world. We're, we're in the world, we're not of the world. We are in this outpost, and think about the implications of that. We're going to look at four of those implications here as to what the church should do while it is in this weird place of being an outpost. First of those, the church needs to be bold. Church needs to be bold. Thank you for that amen there. Um, it's just like, go, Jay, go. Okay. Uh, Paul is freakishly bold and we love we love that about Paul. Let me let me show you this though in the text how that how that works itself out. I'm going to prove to you first of all that it, that that he is bold. We left him in that Airbnb or whatever it was where, that he had rented there in Rome and he'd had the had the Jewish leaders come to him and he had given his defense as to what happened in Jerusalem and they're like, "Well, we don't know what happened in Jerusalem, but we'd like to hear more about this Christianity thing because everybody knows that that's a sect and it's, you know, basically they're calling it a cult, but we'd like to hear more of what you're going to say about that." So Paul's like, "Okie dokie, let's do that." We pick it up. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Now, first of all, that's bold. Would you admit that much? Good. I'm glad you would. How many, when was the last time you invited a bunch of just a bunch of unbelievers to your house so you could tell them about Christianity. So that, huh? You're like, I wouldn't do that. No, that on the face of it, that right there is absolutely gutsy. But then he gets bolder yet because he preaches the gospel to them. He, he works, you know, evening to sundown trying to convince them of who Jesus is. And some of them buy into it. Some of them end up believing, but others don't. And look at this. It says, In disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and their ears that they can barely hear. Their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So what's Paul saying there? 
He's taking the words of Isaiah and applying it to them. And it's not exactly a flattering passage that he picks to apply to them. Because if you go back, that's the passage where Isaiah sees the Lord high and you know, lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple and all of that. And you have the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy. That's where Isaiah gets commissioned to be a prophet for the Lord. But then the Lord says, yeah, I'm going to send you to this people, but this is what's going to happen. They're going to be stubborn and hard-hearted. They're going to be slow to hear. They're going to be slow to see. Basically, you know, lest they would turn and repent and be healed, be saved. You want to talk about hard, tough love. That, I mean, that is just right in the grill, isn't it? That's like, yeah, you're just like your... They never wanted to accept that. You remember Jesus spoke to them about how, you know, they made glorious tombs for the prophets and they thought, well, we wouldn't have been like them. And Paul's going, no, you're exactly like them. You are exactly the kind of people that, that he talked about. He gets bolder yet. He gets bolder yet when you get to verse 28. He, he steps on a landmine as intentionally as anyone has ever stepped on a landmine because he should know by now this is a landmine. This happened at Pisidian Antioch. It happened at Corinth. It happened in Jerusalem. Listen to what he says and see if you can pick out what's particularly bold here. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Woo. And they will listen. I mean, this is the thing that got him in trouble over and over again. But I'm not done yet. He's show you more boldness or indications of it. it says in the last, oh, second to last verse, verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So Paul is bold. Paul, this is the last time you'll hear it, at least in this sermon series. Paul's honey badger. He is just he is just a honey badger. Honey badger don't care. He doesn't pull any punches. He hunkers down. He speaks the truth. He stays there for two years. That outpost, you know, with the world around and all of, all of the turmoil, he is right there and he is preaching the truth. So what does boldness look like when you're an outpost in, I don't know, let's just pick a random spot. Great Bend, Kansas, huh? It's a pretty random, random place, you'll have to admit. I thought it was random when I heard about it. Um, really? Okay. All right. Uh, what does boldness look like? Do we have to be the 101st Airborne Division? Is that what boldness looks like in Great Bend, Kansas? No. Boldness, if you, if you look at how Paul does what he does and what it is that we appreciate and approve of, Boldness is speaking the truth without fear of the consequence. Boldness is speaking the truth without fear of consequence. Boldness can be telling a friend, buddy, or uh, do women call each other buddies? Lady? I don't know what you call them. Uh, You're in sin. You're in sin. They've confessed to you they're in sin. They're not turning from it. They're in unrepentant sin. And you just say to them, look, you are in sin. You need to repent. That's bold. But, but it's necessary for the church. As a church body, it minimally means that we are committed to clear, truthful preaching of God's word from the pulpit of this church, whether or not the world of great bend around us is approving or not. Amen? Paul didn't take a poll. He didn't 
stick up his finger. He didn't have people go door to door and say, what would you really like in a church? And if they say, well, I'd really like about a 10-minute sermon, and I'd prefer to hear nothing about the gospel. Oh, okay, we'll try that. I haven't tried that before. Let's try that. No, no, no. We, speak, we keep speaking the truth. We should be bold. That's what an outpost is for. Secondly, the church needs to be, and some of you are really going to hate this, untiring. Now, if you're tired today and you hear the preacher up here say you should be untiring, you're like, oh, gee, wow, just throw the burden right on top of me. Just stick with me here. Don't get tired too, too fast here. Uh, I think it'll make sense. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And then we get to the end of the text. For two years, he lives there and welcomes there, preaching to them. Do you see a certain, certain quality to that? We could call it tireless, untiring. My favorite word for this is six syllables. And you're thinking, of course it is. If my math is correct, if my math isn't as good as my vocabulary. Indefatigable. Don't you love that word? Indefatigable. And I guess it'd be indefatigability in that. I don't know how many syllables that ends up being. But I just like the word, right? Incapable, incapable of being, maybe incapable make more syllables. Of being, it's incapable of being fatigued. Paul can't be fatigued when it comes to preaching the gospel. He's like the energizer bunny. He just keeps going and going and going. Have you ever seen those commercials for Flo, the progressive uh, agent? Yeah, she's funny, isn't she? She's so untiring and relentless when it comes to pushing car insurance. She just wants to save people money on car. That's the whole shtick, right? Which is funny because why would anybody be so uh, tireless and so all-consumed by, by car insurance? But there's a, there's a new one where she's on a date with John Hamm, you know, the actor, and, uh, and, and you hear their internal dialogue, and he's thinking, I think this date's going pretty good. I wonder what she's thinking about, and she's smiling, and then you get her internal dialogue, and it's bundle and save, bundle and save, bundle and save, and it's just ludicrous, right? Because why, 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 when, compared to everything else that you could care about, why would that be just the constant drumbeat of your mind? And of course, that, that, is, that would be silly, but the gospel, on the other hand, the gospel, on the other hand, is worthy of that kind of tireless, just, just one-track thinking. Paul was consumed by that message. He was unapologetically single-minded. He could preach from sunup to sundown to a group of, of, of hostile people who are not willing to be convinced. He could do it from sunup to sundown. At Troas, you may remember, he did it from sundown to sunup. You want to talk about tireless. He was tireless. Uh, Eutychus could not be described as tireless. And, and Eutychus, you remember, he falls out the window and Paul's like, oh, we got to, he, yeah, oh, he's okay, and raises him to life. And then he goes back in and he keeps speaking. That's the, that's the most hilarious part of that, is that after he raises him from the dead, after killing him from talking so long, he raises him from the dead and he goes back and he talks more. But he's, he is absolutely tireless. Church, when we grasp the holiness, the perfections of the God who called the universe into being by his word, created man lovingly in his image, breathed life into him, 
established a world in which man could live in, in, in that kind of proximity to God, and yet we threw that away. And yet you see God continuing to reach out to men and covenanting with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and giving the law through Moses and then David. And you see all of this, this extent to which God was willing to go, and yet his people endlessly caught in the, in the cycle of, of, of the slavery of, of sin. And so he sends his one and only son into the world. When we see the love of God displayed in the cross, when we see the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, when we see that it is only by this gospel that we must be be saved, how can we not be consumed by that kind of gospel? How How can we not be tireless in that? And you say, well, Jay, I know how to be tired. You can talk all day long. You're not going to talk me out of being tired. I get that. Martha, Martha, you're tired with so many things, right? We get tired with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that we shouldn't even care about. A lot of worries we shouldn't worry about. I was thinking on the way in today. I was thinking about something that I'd, that I'd worried about years before. And I realized none of that ever happened or ever really you know, came to anything. And I thought, I wasted a lot of energy worried about that. I could have been tirelessly thinking more about the gospel when I was caught up worrying about those things. But here's the beautiful thing. We're talking about, we're, we're not just talking about us as little isolated, atomized Christians living very separate little lives. We're talking about the church. We're talking about an outpost, which means if you're tired, your brother or sister in the Lord has been refreshed and they're ready to carry you a little while. And when they're tired, you're able, you're refreshed, you're able to come along, but together as a body of believers, we need to be tireless when it comes to the gospel. Thirdly, the church needs to be biblically clear, biblically clear. Look at verse 23. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. The word that's translated expounded here is the word, um, at its most root meaning, it means exposed. It, it, meant, it was the word that they used to talk about exposing infants. You know that practice, right? That back in the day, before, before they had uh, uh, medical abortions and so forth and so on, a lot of times what the Greeks and Romans would do, if they got a, you know, a child they didn't want, you know, it wasn't pretty enough. It maybe had some kind of defect or that had red hair or something like that. They, they, no, red hair's fine. I'm not, but, but some people don't like red hair or whatever. They, if they didn't like the baby, the point was they could get rid of it. They just exposed it. They took it out and left it, and it was exposed to the elements and the wild beasts, and that was the last they saw that baby. That was, called, that was exposing your child. But here this word isn't speaking of that. It's, it's speaking of laying bare what is in the Scripture. Paul laid bare, he exposed, he exposited the Old Testament. That's the law and the prophets in in the text. Paul was doing what Christ did on the road to Emmaus. You remember that little conversation? It says there, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them. Now that's a different verb there, but essentially is getting at the same thing. Interpreted to them uh, in all the scriptures the things concerning him. Paul was doing expository preaching. He was showing how Christ fulfills the promises 
of God. He's the anointed king. He's the son of David. He is the savior. He's the promised deliverer like Moses who has come to deliver his people. When you read the Old Testament, it, it, um, it has a very definitive, like if, if you, you, you can go to little tiny verses here and there and say, well, this is fulfilled and that's fulfilled, but you can also look at the whole sweep of the Old Testament as pointing to Christ. You know, you begin in the garden, man falls, God sends a deliverer, he's calling them back to, to the land to be with him. He appoints leaders, he appoints David. The whole Old Testament, though, ends on this kind of depressing note. Like if all you had was the Old Testament, you'd read that book and there's all this glory and this wonder and this greatness and it kind of reaches its peak at David, the man after God's own heart and the Davidic kingdom and all the promises concerning that. Then you get to the end of the book and it's like, well, what happened? What happened? We, we, we went into captivity. We got brought back. We're not half the people we once were. We, you know, we got ten tribes are still off in Assyria somewhere, and here we are, and we're hunkered down, and the, we rebuilt the temple, but the temple's not as gorgeous as it once was. And, and it sort of ends on this low note, like it's waiting for something. Like the whole Old Testament is just set up saying, where is the deliverer? Where is the king? Where is the one who will sit on David's throne? The Messiah. Where is he? And then you open up the New Testament, and Matthew 1.1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Paul is exposing the word of God. He's laying it bare, showing them Christ through the scriptures. And that's the role of the church. That's the role of preaching the word of God. Preachers have a weighty responsibility whether they know it or not and some don't take it utterly responsibly and don't understand why they're there. But they don't walk up here to make much of themselves. They don't come into the pulpit in order to entertain. They don't come, you know, God forbid, to tickle ears or to manipulate emotion or to tell basically good people, hey, you know, you're so good right the way you are. I just want to motivate you to feel a little bit better. It's not the role of the pastor. It's not the role of the preacher. The role of the preacher is to exposit and set forth plainly the word of God and point people to Jesus through that. That's what it's for. What do people, what do people need from us here in Great Bend Church? We're this little thing. We can think so little of ourselves. And maybe we're not wrong for thinking that way. We're in a little town. We're in a little church. What can we possibly do? We're not the UN. We're not, uh, we're not NATO. We're not the World Economic Forum. We're not Hollywood. We're not the makers and shakers uh, you know, on, on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. We're just this little insignificant thing. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. The simple laying forth, the exposing of the scripture, declaring Christ to men's heart will look like foolishness to some, but it is the power of God to save. Amen? Church, that's what we're here for. So whoever is up here doing it, not important, you know, uh, the ch- that the church, that the out- outpost expect that and demand that, that is critical for the next two years, for the next 20 years, for the next 200 years, which is way beyond anything I'm really thinking very much about, that 
Honestly, church, it, we, we need to know what it is that we demand. We demand that the scriptures be laid bare and exposed for the sake of the gospel. The church needs to be focused. The church needs to be focused. This might sound like repetition, but if you look at the core of the core of the core, there's two subjects here that Paul is dealing with. You may have seen that and noticed that. Back in verse 23, he was talking about the kingdom of God and teaching them concerning Jesus. Correct? Then you get to verse 31. It says, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. So let's talk about these. What are we talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God? When we talk about the kingdom of God, we are talking about God's righteous rule over a willing people in love under God's appointed king. When you go back to the garden and you think about how the garden was, it, that, is, that is how it was. We were living in harmony, in love, with our creator in union with him under his rule. But then we threw off the yoke. We threw off his rule. We were lost. When you look at God's relationship to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and in Moses and Joshua and David, it's the same picture. God's people are called to live under God's rule. And yet the problem is that our hearts were so far from God that we needed to have our hearts utterly redeemed and changed. The Old Testament people of God, the prophets foretold a time when God would take that heart of stone from them, which was the problem, that's why it, it never seemed to work, and he would give them a heart of flesh. When Christ comes, he comes preaching the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of God's rule and reign over a redeemed people. That people with that new heart and that new spirit within them. Him, Christ, the Davidic king, would save and restore and redeem a holy people unto God. So the gospel is the message on the one hand of the kingdom of God, God's righteous rule over his people, serving him with a whole heart through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we call men and women to believe in Jesus, we're calling them, in effect, back to where we belong. Back under God's rule. We are offering the only path for that. Every human being in one sense has left, has been thrust out of the garden, has lost that, and so every human being is being called to return to that. Now that may seem narrow, to, that, that is through Christ and Christ alone, and in one sense, of course, that is, but it also really makes sense. The world as it is, if you think about the world, and I'm sure you do, the world that the outpost is situated in has thrown off God's rule. Yes, just, just exactly like it did in the garden. We have said to God, we don't like you. We don't trust you. We think you're harsh. We think you're mean. We think you're grudging. We don't like your rules. We don't like your law. We're going to go it on our own. And we are going to establish for ourselves what is right and wrong. We are going to say, this is good and this is bad. And where have we gotten where have we got? We've, got? we've gotten people who are so far from, from, from the biblical worldview that, 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 that life has become cheap and, and, and people drown themselves in addictions and they reject God and with rejecting Him, they, they really reject life itself and happiness and, and all things good. The world doesn't simply need more education. Now what they always say, you know, when something's going wrong, it's like, well, we just need to educate 
educate people better. We don't need more education or re-education. We don't need a new type of government, a new utopian scheme. The world needs a gracious and good king. The world needs to be saved from sin and self under the righteous reign of God through Jesus Christ. So yes, let the church of the outposts be simple and plain and focused. When the movie from, of the book of Acts ends, which I've never seen a movie of the book of Acts, but that would be a good movie. It ends, you know, I'm, I'm going to say we, we've got old drone footage where you start out like focused on Paul there in that rented home you know, surrounded by people that are listening to him, and then it just kind of zooms out, and we see Rome, and we see the world, and Paul is situated there in Rome. And that, to me, seems kind of like a script for any faithful group of believers who assemble themselves together and call themselves a church. Let us be like that. You know, there are missionaries, and there are people called to be missionaries, and we support missions going out and reaching places, but a lot of us A lot of us are settled, but don't be too settled. Be settled, but be settled as an outpost. And don't expect applause. Don't expect comfort. Don't expect ease. Don't expect crowds of cheering adoration. Expect to live in a paradox. A paradox. Paul was in chains as a prisoner. And yet look at how the book ends. What are the last two words in the book of Acts, for this prisoner, Paul, who is stuck. He is stuck in the outpost. What are the last two words? Without hindrance. Without hindrance. That is a picture of the church for me. We are an outpost in the middle of the world, hostility all around us, but we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. And the gospel... The gospel is unbound. It is without hindrance. And so we need to be bold. We need to be untiring. We need to be clear. We need to be focused. We serve a king whose kingdom shall not end. And so proclaim the king. Teach them concerning Jesus. Expose to them the word of God. And some will come. And we should do this until he comes. And friend, if if you're not with Christ, we offer you the truth unvarnished today. Um, We want to be bold. We want to be bold. Apart from Christ, you are lost. That's not us condemning you or judging you. That is what the scripture says. We are just exposing you to the truth. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sinful rejection of God and God's ways. Submit to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. Believe the gospel. Come to him and join us here or wherever God takes you in that outpost. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your your kingdom which you have brought and proclaimed that that through you we have been brought into into that kingdom that we can say that we are part of of a kingdom of love and light. And uh, Lord, just remind us that, that we not get too comfortable while we're living in the world. We aren't settled in as part of the world so much as we're settled like an outpost. We are an outpost for your kingdom. 
And I pray, Lord, that that mentality would just just seep into us, Lord, and that, that as people of that outpost that we would be bold and clear and plain and tireless in proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Lord, for your glory's sake and for those who are lost, we pray that your gospel would ring forth and that they would hear and that hearing they would believe and that believing they would be saved. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.